from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter, and to quote the producer of this show, Andy Savas, here we snow again. Another winter storm has the tri-state area in its crosshairs, threatening to bring a fresh blanket of snow across the region. It is exciting, right? New York City Department of Sanitation issuing a snow alert today. It's going to deploy its arsenal of more than 700 salt spreaders, this to pre-treat roadways. They are already pre-treated, right? But it'll get covered again. Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg joins us now. He's got the timing and the tracking and the whole Michigash. All right, so it's an all-day snow to end our work week. So a big hurdle to get across as we get to the weekend. And even that, I almost think the cold may be more impactful than the snow for many of us, unless you're over central and southern New Jersey. So that'll come in behind the storm Friday night into Saturday. Roads could look like this over parts of central and southern New Jersey. This is going to come in in the pre-dawn hours and during the morning commute. So the longer you wait tomorrow, the worse it will be. The steadiest from late morning to mid-afternoon and then the intensity should drop off by the evening hours tomorrow and then just wind down between 6 and 10 o'clock the final flakes. We're looking for amounts generally 1 to 3 inches. Lighter totals north, heavier totals south. Could actually push a 6 inch total over parts of central and southern New Jersey. There are winter storm warnings out from Monmouth and Ocean County. Hazardous travel and again dangerous cold follows. By the way out ahead of this there are some light snow showers that actually moved right over the Mara Cuomo Tappan Z Bridge. A couple of slick spots through the Hudson Valley, northern New Jersey, back to the Catskills too. Managed to reach freezing for a little while today, but we'll go below it now right through the weekend until we hit the January thaw early next week. South wind at about seven miles an hour. There may be some mixing at the storm right along coastal Ocean County. There'll be a big range in totals from coast to inland areas and ocean that actually could see some of the highest totals over interior Ocean County as well. So we'll be plenty cold enough to the north, but there's so little moisture that we may just see an inch or so here, maybe even less over parts of Ulster and Dutchess County, especially the eastern half of Ulster County. But generally temperatures around freezing now. There are the snow showers I was talking about. They tend to weaken, but over Rockland, again, right along the bridge there, this is right, probably over Nyack and headed into places like Armonk and over to Rybrook and Greenwich. Uh, after that, it's this piece of energy here trying to catch up to this low right here. It's almost chasing it. Now it's too late for it to become a blockbuster storm offshore, but there's enough time that the two tend to interact and see how the snow's kind of filling in near St. Louis will be in this area here in that band of snow. But where will that heavier band try to form? So the snow begins tomorrow morning and the commute deteriorates. But as the low links up with some of the jet stream energy, this front will form. In some cases, it's called a Norlund trough if it gets really strong and focused around it are heavy bands. That's likely over central and southern New Jersey, probably not in New York City, although it's close. The snow will end during the evening hours, then you have the dangerous cold. This is what it looks like on the future cast. Snow moving in four or five in the morning, far western suburbs, and then takes maybe until eight in the morning to overspread the entire area. The steadier snow will go from late morning into mid-afternoon, and then the intensity will drop off as we go into the evening commute, but already there will be some slippery roads. It'll end during the evening hours. Figure an inch or less, eastern Ulster and Dutchess, one to three inches for most, but we get south of I-78, we get into these three to six inch totals. Right now I have that three inch line scraping parts of Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, also so southern part of uh, Long Island, there's less and less evidence for those higher totals to reach the city now. I'll continue to look at it through the evening hours. Wind chills by Saturday morning, by the way, sub-zero. Maybe it's five below to about 12 above. So make sure you're dressing in layers on Saturday. Cover everything up. Limit those time outdoors. We're at 28 tonight, an early flurry, then snow toward dawn. For tomorrow, it's snow, heavier south, slick roads and sidewalks, down to 17 tomorrow night. Anything slushy, wet, that'll freeze, so a lot of ice. Seven-day AccuWeather forecast. The 
AccuWeather alert for snow tomorrow for cold on Saturday, still blustery on Sunday, maybe a little less harsh later in the day, and then the January thaw hits. It's not the cleanest thaw. We'll have some rain showers around, but we could be 50 one week from today. That's the way it's shaping up. Updates throughout the week on uh, throughout the night on ABC 7 and Y and a new Weather or Not podcast dropped with a deep analysis on the storm. Bill? And then, of course, you'll be on Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock on Channel 7. Thank you, Leah. And this very cold weather, part of life, of course, in the tri-state area. But for scores of thousands of migrants who now live in New York City, frigid cold is a new concept. They mostly come from warm countries, of course. And like these asylum seekers you're looking at, outside overnight in freezing temperatures, these folks waiting to get New York identification numbers. For those without winter clothing, today some human kindness in the form of donated hats and gloves. This at a local shelter. You're Sonia Rincon. As migrants get eviction notices from the shelter system, reapplying for another 30 days or 60 for families means waiting in line. Although at the Roosevelt Hotel, where families wait, and at St. Bridget's on the Lower East Side, where single adults wait, they are allowed to wait inside, unlike a few weeks ago when they stood all day in the cold. There's like a waiting room, says Fernando from Venezuela, who's been in the queue for eight days, going back and forth to other locations to sleep at night to stay warm. He says, I don't have the words to describe this cold, but it's for crazy people. City officials say the cold has meant a drop in the number of new arrivals, but no one has to wait outside in this weather. By law, we have to find places for people so that they can be in out of the cold. In Borum Hill, Brooklyn, there's no waiting room inside for migrants in line hoping to apply for New York City ID cards. It's my first time in cold weather, says Cornelio from Venezuela, who arrived at 3 in the morning. The tents at Floyd Bennett Field are heated, but coming and going can be brutal. This afternoon, the city coordinated gifts of brand new warm clothes, toys, and strollers. These donations are not from us. These are from New Yorkers that raised their hand to help to welcome, especially the children, to make sure that they're safe, comfortable, and feel warm and welcome this winter. It's important to leave politics aside and uh, treat people with humanity, and I think this is what we're seeing here. This mom tells us it was lovely, especially for the children. Families have done their best to adapt to this unconventional home, but soon they'll be getting 60-day notices and will have to reapply or move out of the shelter system. The city says sticking to those time limits is essential to cutting its asylum seeker budget by 20% to avoid cuts to other city services. At Floyd Bennett Field in Marine Park, Brooklyn, Sonia Rincon, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Oh, very complicated, as you can see. You heard Lee, by the way, I say it just a moment ago. Heavy amounts of snow could pile up in parts of New Jersey. Well, the National Weather Service issued a winter storm warning for parts of the Garden State. A statement, a state, I should say, a state of emergency related to the weather remains in effect in New Jersey. And Governor Murphy urging New Jersey residents to stay off the roads. So if you can, please, please, please consider working from home tomorrow. State offices will be closed tomorrow and asking all state employees to please work from home. And if you have to be out in the roads, please go slow, drive with caution, and plan for ice on the roads. Charming, right? Governor Murphy also says a commercial vehicle ban will go into effect at 3 in the morning overnight. And we invite you to stay with Eyewitness News and ABC 7 NY as we track this latest blast of winter. Tomorrow morning, we'll have weather and traffic updates every seven minutes, beginning at 4.30 in the morning. And remember, when the storm is really kicking into high gear, mid-morning, we're on the air at 10 a.m.
the Eyewitness News Mornings at 10 show. Now to some other news of the day. The Department of Justice releasing a scathing and blunt report about the failures by law enforcement in response to that massacre at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas. The nearly 600-page report details the botched response and includes gut-wrenching new details. Perhaps the most heartbreaking, we learned some families were initially told their children had survived the shooting when, in fact, they had not. I hope that the failures end today and that local officials do what wasn't done that day. It is just still so heartbreaking. By the way, the Uvalde County District Attorney has previously said she will charge law enforcement officers in relation to their response if warranted. But while the report is scathing, it is unclear if any of the failures would be considered criminal. You'll remember 19 children and two teachers died in that gun massacre. As we continue with Avenue News Extra Time, ensuring a safe ride to school, or at least trying to do that. Tell you about the new technology that's being put on New York City school buses. And we take a deeper dive into the organization on a mission to make streets safer as it nears an important milestone. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. New York City tonight, making a bit of history, school bus safety history. Today, the first of its kind technology on school buses and other official New York City vehicles to try to limit speeding and make sure drivers are fully aware of what goes on around them. All of it, of course, designed to cut down on traffic deaths. It's a federally funded test, all designed to help with people's safety on the roads. Here's Kimberly Richardson. It is the largest fleet in the country here in the five boroughs, 10,000 school buses each day, moving roughly 50,000 students. And now a first, a model for other school districts, new technology on board yellow school buses. Keith Kerman is the city's chief fleet officer and tells me when it comes to safety, the changes take things up a notch. All our buses are tracked every day for speed, for braking, um, for accelerating. So we know if a bus is operating unsafely. It is a multi-pronged approach, including what's called intelligent speed assist, controls how fast the bus is going. The computer engine knows to not let a signal go to the accelerator, and you simply can't speed over the speed limit wherever you are. This pilot program has been in place since April of 2022, and with one million miles traveled, more than 99% have been within the speed limit. What was always your biggest fear driving a bus? Hitting a child. Most drivers who are average height cannot see what's in front of them for about 10 to 15 feet. The man squatting down is about the size of a small child. Now four cameras on the outside of the bus will increase driver's visual field. Even my blind spots, I have an angle where I can see whatever's going on either the front, the back, or both sides. Now each time a driver puts on their blinker, you will be warned. Right now, 50 school buses have this new technology and additional 250 city vehicles with more on the way. Kimberly Richardson, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Important, very important. Uh, we want to continue with this theme of safety because a mother in Brooklyn 
has been advocating for safer streets since her son's death back in 2013. She founded a, the group called Families for Safe Streets. The program aims to eliminate all traffic deaths and serious injuries as it now reaches its 10-year milestone. She is still working on the initial mission, an important mission, and so we welcome Amy Cohen, co-founder of Family for Safe Streets. And Amy, thank you for joining us. Really do appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would like you to tell our viewers the story, why you, why you started this organization, what happened to you personally. Yeah, 10 years ago on October 8th, my 13-year-old son, who's nearly 13 rather, he was just trying to get from school to soccer practice. And, you know, that should not be a deadly act, right. just trying to cross the street in front of our home. And so I joined with others to make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else. No one should have to bury their child, their sibling, their spouse for something that's preventable. Traffic violence is a preventable public health crisis. We know the solutions. We are just pushing our polit political leaders to make sure they have the will to put in place the things that will save lives so that children like my son can have an opportunity to grow up. And I, I mean, you must be filled with, with so much uh, emotion about all this, but you took your sorrow and turned it into action. And I, I want to talk about that and, and what it what is now doing across the country, not just here in New York. When you do this, though, before I, I get you to answer that question, when you do this and, and you come on shows like this, I assume that part of your son is right on your shoulder because you're doing it for him. And so this doesn't happen to other families. I mean, he just had so much courage. He would always speak up for things he believed in. And so, you know, I am inherently a shy person, but I have tried to channel his bravery to make sure that we can prevent this heartache from happening to others. You know, Families for Safe Streets does have a two-part mission. We fight to confront the complacency around traffic violence and make sure changes are made. And we also provide support to those personally impacted because I know all too well that it can be a lifesaver to join with others yeah. and have someone who understands. I want to talk about what's happening here in New York with what you've done, but it's also launched around the country. How big is this organization now? We now have uh, chapters in 20 different cities across the country, and we also have hundreds of individual advocates that we train and support uh, in places where we do not yet have uh, chapters. So it is a growing national movement. Right. Well, it's named after your son, Sammy, and there is now such a thing called uh, Sammy's Law. First introduced in 2020, it would allow New York City to set its own speed limits. Uh, right now, the city can't adjust speed limits without the state's approval. Is it the law right now still, or are you still pushing for it? We are still pushing for it. You know, this is why we have this crisis on our roadways. This is why New York and the rest of the country fares so poorly compared to other places around the world, because it shouldn't take four years to put in place such a simple measure. You know, I grew up in upstate New York. It is a totally different place than New York City. And, and legislators from, you know, Albany, Rochester, Buffalo should not be deciding what the speed limit is in New York City. We are in a unique place where people are walking and biking and driving all right next to each other. Yep. And, you know, our residential streets, we need a slower speed limit so that people have more time to stop 
if if something does happen, they have a better field of vision. And if they do hit somebody, they're much more likely to survive. Right. A year after my son was hit, a five-year-old boy was hit in the same exact location. And we had successfully fought already to lower the speed limit from 30 to 25. And that boy survived and mine didn't. A few miles an hour is the difference between life and death. But it only means that somebody might get to their destination so, a few minutes later. So, as you Everybody said, can be in chance to save a life. And, or there's no question, and, and, and you've got the passion for this. Very briefly, uh, you said it went from 35 to 25, and the experts then said it'll save lives because that's a big drop. Uh, you're saying that on some streets, residential-only streets, it should drop even more, even down to 15 or something, right? Uh, you know, many municipalities across the country have made um, residential streets have a speed limit of 20 miles per hour. Yeah, okay. And, you know, this bill would allow that uh, here in New York as well. Amy Cohen, uh, you're just it's amazing what you're doing. We're thinking about you and and good for you for turning all this into action. Uh, and you are saving lives. So good luck to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Amy. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, Healing Through Music. We'll tell you about the foundation based in Queens, dedicated to uplifting kids facing some tough challenges with personalized original songs. We want to introduce you to an organization showing how music can be just what the doctor ordered. How can you not rock to that? The Love of the Songs of Love Foundation, that's what it's called, based out of Forest Hills, Queens. It's a national nonprofit group. Its mission to give children and teenagers facing some tough medical, physical, or emotional challenges through songs, while also fostering a platform for singer-songwriters to share their talents and make a positive impact on the lives of others. And with that introduction, let's make another introduction. John Belzer, the president and founder of Songs of Love and John, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure to be here. All right, My pleasure. Tell us, I, you know, I look, I, I can tell already you're, you're bubbly about this. This is in your core to make this happen. Tell us about Songs of Love. What inspired you to begin it? Well, back in 1996, I was walking down the street in my neighborhood in uh, Forest Hills, Queens. Wasn't really thinking of anything in particular. And suddenly I had this epiphany to create a charity that would help uh, very sick children and teens by giving them their very own fully produced personalized songs. I had a fraternal twin brother, Julio, who back in 1984, sadly uh, took his own life. And just three months before he died, he wrote this beautiful song called Songs of Love. So when this epiphany and this idea came into my mind, I immediately knew what I was going to call the organization, the Songs of Love Foundation. Wow, that's amazing. We, ju we just had a, a, a mother uh, on our show, uh, literally two minutes ago, who, uh, who has started a, a school, uh, a, uh, a traffic safety group here in New York and around the country because her son got hit by a speeding car. And, and you turn your sorrow into action, and it seems like you have just done that as well, because your brother must be on your shoulder a little bit when you do this. Oh, he's on the shoulder, on my shoulder a lot. And the, he wrote this beautiful song. It's like the Stevie Wonder kind of ballad. And uh, I guess I needed 12 years to go through my own musical journey. I had a record deal in 1995 that didn't work out. And that's when I had the epiphany. And I really believe that Julio left us with this beautiful song, which was sort of like the seed that took 12 years to sprout. 
And uh, now here we are, the Songs of Love Foundation, helping very sick children and teens by giving them their very, very own fully produced personalized songs. Okay, so tell me who qualifies uh, for your Song of Love. Uh, we have kids up until the age of 21 who are uh, suffering from uh, physical illnesses, lifetime disabilities, emotional trauma. And, uh, you know, it's pretty uh, wide. Uh, it's a, it's a, a wide array of uh, ailments that uh, we cater to. And uh, we have uh, about 100 active singer-songwriters that when we get the profile, the song request forms filled out, uh, we commissioned the individual singer-songwriter to create a song in the style and the language that the child likes, whether it's uh, pop, dance, rock, R&B, country, you name it, we write it in all different styles. And these are really one-of-a-kind, never duplicated, uh, fully produced, radio-quality songs. Yeah. And so, so the songwriters and, and, and the musicians who do this and give you the songs, it's, it works for them too, right? It uplifts them. Oh, it's amazing. Me, uh, uh, me being a singer-songwriter, it's really gratifying for me to give uh, these songwriters a platform to feel appreciated and validated. You know, this music business can be very cutthroat, very competitive, and we're actually able to provide a stipend per song written. Yeah. So they keep writing, doing things, something that they love and trying to make this uh, into a better world. It's a very meaningful reason to be a singer-songwriter. And I know, I understand through the grapevine that you do have some celebrities who produce this for you, and they have done that. Yes, uh, we've had in the past, uh, he actually uh, left a message on my machine, David Lee Roth, this is, uh, wow. years ago, and he said he wanted to come in to do a song for us. We've had Billy Joel do a spoken introduction, Joan Osborne did a song, Jason Mraz did a song. You know, we've had uh, other celebrities uh, come on board to realize that they've been given this talent. They've become very successful, very rich, and this is a great way for them to give back with the talents that they've been given. Wow, well for uh, almost two decades I have bec I've been friends, I'm lucky, honored to be friends with Peter Yarrow. Uh, and and I, I would like to give him your information because I think he would love something like this. He is still very- Oh, we would, we would love, love to have him. It would All be right. amazing. You know, we so, feel that, you know, this is like a definitive music business charity that we call upon all these successful pop stars to come on board. You know, we have this amazing uh, endowment campaign going, uh, an amazing uh, uh, generous donor, Leon Cooperman. Yeah. He's willing to match up to uh, $5 million uh, to build out a $10 million endowment. I've been doing this for 27 years, and I want Songs of Love to survive in perpetuity because I'm not going to be around forever. I want to make sure Songs of Love stays around for generations to come, helping, uh, you know, so many kids get through their trials and tribulations of serious illness. John Belzer, president and founder of Songs of Love, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Your brother lives on and you are giving great, great lives to some of these kids. It's really good. Congratulations, sir. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Peace to you. As we continue with Iowa Zoo's Extra Time, the horse that decided to hoof it on the highway. Finally, a high hoof chase in Tennessee. A horse was on the loose galloping along a highway with cars passing on slick roads. Look at this. A deputy sprang into action, racing to the scene, driving his vehicle near to the horse to keep it away from the traffic. Eventually, a trailer arrived to safely take the horse back to its corral. Hey, Wilbur. Look at that. Well, you know what? The horse lived, and that's the good news. And on that note... That wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I hope you enjoyed it tonight. I thought it was really powerful and profound. I'm Bill Ritter. 
We're back live on Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock on Channel 7. Hope to see you then. Until then, have a safe evening.